This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and my guest today is Helen Yost, who is a garden stylist and author of a whole bunch of stuff, um, and you've got a brand new book out. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, your new book is called Good Berry, Bad Berry. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Who's edible, who's toxic, and how to tell the difference. Now, how did you decide to do this? Because your other two books, well, one was Plants with Benefits, and that's a real, that would be a great gift for somebody for Valentine's Day, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yes. It's um, the perfect <laughs> love gift. <laughs> and your other, your first one, I think, was Gardening with Confidence. That's so correct. now you're into food. Now, do you like to go out in the woods and forage? Yeah, you know, I do, but um, I never really I don't actually think of myself as a forager. I think of myself just kind of as someone who's curious that finds plants and then wants to know if I can do anything with them. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and we had this. We were in this really weird area that was not um, overdeveloped. I mean, it was a suburb, but it was it was. We had this huge field behind us, and behind it was this tributary that went into the. Chesapeake Bay, and then from the bay to, we were right there at the estuary. And um, I found some aronia there. I was only nine. I was eating it. Didn't know if I could eat it or not. Lived to tell a story, but, it you know, my curiosity of plants started there. Now, but why I wasn't curious, say, about eating an akuba, which is good because it is a bad berry, I don't know. I do know, though, that I ate the choke cherry, choke berry, and they were um, not very tasty. The name derives from having a gag reflux when you're when you're eating it, but it's also now today a, a major it food with the chefs, and we're going to start seeing a lot more of it in jams and jellies and served um, and served in restaurants and at home too. It's a great plant to grow, but then. And here's the big but, which is why I decided to write the book. I was hiking in the mountains in, in outside of Denver, and I saw what I thought was a Prunus virginiana, but I had no idea if it would grow there, and if that, I didn't think it could possibly be it. I mean, I was, I had zero confidence. So I didn't eat it, and of course I came home, took a picture, came home, found out that that's exactly what it was, and I could have, you know, enjoyed myself that afternoon a little bit more, but I didn't. So I said, I, I need to really figure this out and have some confidence and write a book that's easy for everyone to understand how to identify this book with some just kind of quick and easy steps. I think this book would be a great idea for a parent to have, too, so they can go around in your landscape and see what they have there that might be toxic, like Nandina. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, that's not to say that their, their parents can, you know, 
have to rip out the plants or anything like that, but just to be aware that they are so that they don't let their kids or their pets eat them. Because I think some people have the understanding that if birds eat a berry, then it must be okay to eat. That's but right. That's I, I do true. get that. Exactly. And I do get that question a lot. Um, a great example is the pokeweed and where berries love it, and I have it in my garden from time to time and then have more of it because the birds enjoy it so much. Um, but it's, it's poisonous for us. Now, actually, the berry is the least poisonous part of that plant, but it's still, it's still not edible. <laughs> well, now, down here in, in my part of the south, which was, you know, southern Appalachian sort of, um, just north, it's north of Atlanta but south of the actual mountains, um, a lot of people eat pokeweed, poke salad. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. Very common. It was a very common spring tonic, even as late as, say, 35 or so years ago when we first moved here. And people still eat it. I don't, um, but only because I, I just have to go through so much trouble. But the, the rule of thumb on eating pokeweed is that if it's shorter than the span, the width of your hand open, five inches, say, um, and if you boil it with two water changes, then it's edible. So I always heard three water changes, and I wondered, you know, how how much nutrition is left in it? <laughs> but apparently there was some, um, or people wouldn't eat it as a spring tonic. Or maybe right. they were just craving something that wasn't, you know, grits or ham or, you know, dried beans or something like that that they'd been eating all winter. It just sounds like way too much trouble for me. <laughs> oh, it does to me, too. I mean, and um, I have to, I, I've only tried it once, and it had a lot of bacon grease on it. And the bacon grease made it palatable, but it certainly isn't anything I'd go out of my way for. Exactly. And like you say, with all those water changes, and what if it's really five? <laughs> oh, responsibility. Or what if it's a really old plant and it has more toxic compounds in the leaves when yeah. it comes up? I mean, does is really big I, I don't I don't know whether you have to distinguish between um, very young plants or very new plants that um, have just come up from seeds for their first time this year, or whether that changes. Because I've got some pokeweed that's probably six or seven years old and if you go to dig it up the tubers on those things are huge yeah they're hard to get out yes they are that's why part of the reason i just leave them because and the birds love them too they do love them and they are pretty the only come out Hmm? they are pretty when they first come out they're gorgeous and i love the the red stems yeah. Uh, that that the berry and the, the clusters of berries they can just hang down, but that is a berry that people don't want to eat. And now you've arranged your book in a way that you got good berries and bad berries, and then you got something um, that's a, a good berry but a bad idea. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about those? Well, I I felt like I needed to qualify. Some of the berries, because they're good, the flush itself is good, but there might be something, a caveat to it, if you will. So like a Washington hawthorn is a good berry, but the seed is poisonous. Um, or a mayapple is a good berry, 
only when it's very, very ripe. So if it's underripe, it's poisonous, but it, when it's fully ripe, it's not. Um, and the same, the one that's really surprising everyone, because it's so highly toxic, I think people have over the years just said, never touch that berry. And that's the you. And um, mm -hmm. it's the seed that is highly poisonous. In fact, uh, two to three seeds can kill you in two to three hours with no symptoms. But oh, really? Flesh, yeah, but the flesh itself <laughs> is edible, but, boy, is that a high risk. You know, you really better know what you're doing and not not get over anxious. In fact, the fruit is delicious. I had some when I was up in um, the Netherlands uh, in September. They were in, they were right there. Now, we don't tend to see them in fruit here in Raleigh. I, I don't suppose you do either, but you go to Ohio and go up north and you'll, you'll see those beautiful berries. But, yeah, they are, they are pretty treacherous. Yeah, I, I remember them from my childhood, but you're right. I, you know, we can grow Japanese plum you, but that's a, an entirely different thing than a, than a you that, of the kind that we, that, the bear, that are, have the berries that are so common up north. Mm -hmm. Now, you have some things on there that are, um, well, tell me about tell me about the the hawthorn thing before we get off on another subject because hawthorn is related to apples, and the seeds of apples are supposed to be toxic too. Correct, they are, and um, they are related, and the seed of the um, hawthorns the same. Now, for, I mean, I've never eaten an apple seed. <laughs> I just know intuitively to take the cord and throw it in the compost heap or under a bush or wherever. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, but but in a hawthorn, it's a much bigger seed. And again, I mean, I'm not prone to eating seeds. Occasionally, I'll eat a watermelon seed, you know. But that, you know, and then we all said that plant was going to grow on our tummies, right? You remember that, right? Um, but I mean, I, I tend to spit out seeds anyway. But the hawthorn's interesting because one of the things I address in the book. Uh, for the good berries and the good berry bad idea, just to get people to understand, because it took a lot of research. It wasn't readily available, and that was to whether it had its own pectin or not. Because when you're making jams and jellies, you know you you know who, which ones to add pectin to and which ones not. And so um, I made sure that I had that extra effort in there in case you were going to be making say, a hawthorn jelly or a chutney or something like that, whether you needed pectin. And it turns out that hawthorn is a great source of pectin in general. So you can make your own pectin with it and use it for other jellies and jams instead of... But I assume you have to take a sieve to it and get those seeds out. Exactly. So you just boil it down and sieve it and remove the seeds, and then you have something that you can then make... I, um, a hawthorn ketchup is, is, a, is really yummy, and you can then use um, the liquid for pectin as well. So that was kind of that was kind of an interesting thing, and sort of like the mayapple. I I mean I've never gathered enough mayapple to be able to make a jelly, but I can find it when I when I um, go to some farmers markets. It goes fast, and if you ever see it, get it because it's so well worth it. It's such a unique taste. I, I honestly, it's so exotic, I can't even describe it. Darn! I was just going to ask you. So, what does it taste like? 
it's out there. I don't know. I can't tell you. It's um, it's very interesting. And I mean, I have a few May apples. And I actually have a a neighbor not well, in the next neighborhood over that grows tons of them. And and once you have them, I understand. You know, you 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 have more than you really want. I've never had that problem, but I might check them out this um, springtime and see how they're doing. And I, I wanted to add one thing real quick to what you said about if the birds can eat it, can we? And also is true, if we can eat it, can my pets? That's what I'm also asked as well. And the answer to that is no either. For example, grapes. We can eat grapes. Highly poisonous, um, toxic to your pets. So, And you know, it's interesting. Um, with some, I was in the, happened to be in the vet's, emergency vet's office with one of my cats when somebody brought in a dog that had eaten grapes. And apparently the dog had had very, very few of them and was violently ill. And mm. I don't think that the dog made it, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but I used to toss grapes to my dog Annie. She would, you know, one for me, one for her, and it mm. didn't bother her. Interesting. I wonder what that was. I don't know because there is, but they were saying when I was in there, they said, as a general rule, don't give your pet a, a grape or a raisin because even a very small amount can kill some dogs. Mm-hmm. And that they don't know yet what apparently what this mechanism is that kills some dogs, but apparently it's um, a, a dominant gene, they think, mm-hmm. but... Some animals don't get it, which which would make kind of a lot of sense, I guess. Uh, we used to have some wild grapevines, and Annie would help herself to those, whatever was in reach, which really wasn't very much. Mm-hmm. And um, she would help herself to rose hips, too. Mm-hmm. This dog was a walking. I mean, she would eat anything. She was amazing. <laughs> I had so many calls to the poison control center when she was a puppy, because she was also really, really fast, that they knew... They knew me, my voice, and they would just say, what did Annie eat this time? <laughs> and, and fortunately, there was nothing that was, you know, I always caught her before she ate any quantity of anything. But, uh, but, but it was, I, I never want to go through a dog's childhood like that again. <laughs> no. we've, we've got to take a little break right now, but we'll come back with more of America's Homegrown Veggie Show right after this. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes, that's 
Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Helen Yost about her brand new book. It's called Good Berry, Bad Berry. And we were talking right before the break about how grapes are toxic to dogs and some dogs apparently survive them with no ill effects and other dogs it just takes one or two and unfortunately they lose their life over it. So be very careful when you give any of these to your pet and as Helen said, if you see a bird eating a berry, it doesn't mean that you can eat it, too. Birds digest things differently than we do, and which I guess is why birds can survive on all sorts of things. Did you hear about the Nandina thing in, I think it was in Houston, uh, maybe a dozen years back, Helen? Oh, no. Tell me. Apparently, the robins, the only thing that the robins had in large numbers was Nandina berries, and it killed them. A oh bunch my. of them. Yeah, so even though, that they, even though they can eat them, apparently, in very small amounts. So, no, it was, wasn't Nandina berries, it was pyracantha berries. Where do pyracantha berries fit on this um, good berry, bad berry thing? Well, they're in the book as a bad berry, and you can eat a few. Um, and I have eaten one, just to kind of took one for the team, if you will, <laughs> um, just to see what they were like, because you could... Um, um, Pregnant women are advised against it, um, and they're not really tasty at all. Uh, but they ended up. I'm looking in my book, making sure I have. I didn't have it in the Good Berry Bad Idea. So uh, yeah, it's, it's actually actually in the Good Berry. It is edible, just it's not very tasty. Can you believe that? Well, um, and who wants to go near all those thorns anyway? No. I was no. so happy that the one that the, our na- the former owners of this house had planted, when it finally died, I think voles chewed the roots of it. And I was just perfectly happy not to go have to go in there and hack away at it. Yeah, it I, I have one that's valued, and um, so it's not quite as bad, and I have it more for the novelty of it. Um just, you know, because it's one of the berries that are in the book. But, you know, and I have eaten it, but it's not worth it. <laughs> it's not, worth it's not something it. yummy like like a blackberry or, um, or now, do you, eat, do you eat elderberries? You know, I don't eat them raw, but I do have them in a wine, which I thoroughly enjoy. Most people still say that's horrible, but I don't find it to be horrible at all. Um, what about you? 
No, I, I don't eat elderberries either. I've, like, I guess most people, I've tried one, and I didn't find it palatable. One of the things, um, well, now, one of the things I noticed on your front cover of your book is, or maybe it was on the back cover, I'm, I'm looking at it on um, Amazon, and it's, um, you had um, an Iliagnus, some people call it Ugly Agnes, and I think you had porcelain berry there. Yes, and as, um, um, as good berries. Good, they probably should have been good berries that I did just because they're um, such an invasive berry, the Iliagnus, but they're, they're very good foraging food. In fact, when I was at the beach this summer, it was, um, I guess it escaped from somewhere, but the, the neighborhood where we were staying had a hedge of them. It was the pungens. It wasn't, it wasn't the um, olive or the Russian or the, or the gumi berry that we're more used to. But I said, come on, friends, taste this. And we're all, you know, eating it and spitting out the seeds. And they were, they were great. Um, but it's really the, 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 you have to worry about, you have to worry about them because they are highly invasive. So we have the autumn olive, which um, is just taking over the areas here and the Russian, mm-hmm. the Russians that's taken over in the, um, in the Rockies. So it's, it's really bad. But the Gobi berries is one that people are cultivating for home. It's not considered to be highly invasive. And that might be because it's being grown as a fruit, as a, as a, a fruit that they are picking, and there are not as many berries about. And so, well, personally, I just loathe this plant from the standpoint of what it's doing to our native habitats. But if mm-hmm. you see it, by all means, pick it. So I'm, I'm not encouraging anyone to plant it, but if, you, if you're out on the greenway, if you're hiking in the mountains or if you're at the beach, by all means, go ahead and pick it. And maybe that's one last seed that's going to escape to the wild. <laughs> yeah, the birds really like those berries so much, and they just spread it all over the place. I, I constantly do battle with it and with Japanese honeysuckle and mm-hmm. with privet. And I, oh, privet, yeah, that's all. one of my nemesis. Now, um, are all Eliagnus edible? Yes. They are all edible. Okay, so it's, I think some viburnums are and some are not. Is that right? That's correct. Uh huh. So when I wrote about a viburnum, I, I wrote about the best tasting one, which is the nanny berry. It's called the common name is called the nanny berry, and um, it's it's edible and worthy of growing. It doesn't grow well in my area, but it's a very popular one to grow. And it gets its now, name, um, by the way, because female goats in particular love to eat it. <laughs> I wonder <funny>. why. <laughs> I guess it's tasty. So that's the viburnum lentego. Um, so, yeah, that's a good one to grow if you can grow it. It's zone two to seven. We're just a little hot for us where we are here in Raleigh. You know, they, they were growing pretty well here back in the 80s when we were consistently having cold night temperatures and our summers weren't quite as hot. And mm-hmm. then 
things changed and, and we started getting warmer winters. It was, you know, a minus 16 at my house one year. And that's, and it was minus 8 in Atlanta that year. And that's, that's pretty much unheard of now. We just never get temperatures down that low. We still get the, the killer swings. You know, it'll go from 70 to 22. But, mm-hmm. um, and we've been getting a lot of really, really late frosts that have, um, have killed off a lot of spring berries and and spring and summer flowering shrubs, but um, but we don't have it's it's just not cool enough anymore to grow that. There are a couple other things that, that we could grow just fine up in the Northeast or out in the Midwest that just aren't happy here. Now tell me about dogwoods. Oh, dogwoods! I'm glad you brought that up because. In Europe, the Acousca dogwood is grown for its berries, not just for an ornamental tree um, or their wildlife. It's grown for harvesting the berries, and they're very, very common. And sometimes I just think we're, we we missed the boat on that one, but it's not too late. Um, it's interesting because the, the native dogwood... Um, so, you know, when you when you talk to Doug Talamay as far as the number of caterpillars that are interested in it, he at one time mentioned the native having a higher number of insects, but now he's just grouped everything as a cornice. So I don't know what the real breakdown is now or what his feeling on the breakdown now is as far as wildlife, benefiting wildlife, the, the native versus the the um, introduced species, but I do know that in the drought of 2007, I lost all of my dogwoods, my eastern um, Cornish Floridia, because it became susceptible to um, the anthrax. So, and they, they, I lost them. They became susceptible, susceptible and gone. Whereas the Cuscos did fine. So, but you know, if you're, it depends on how you're growing the garden. If you're doing it for the just the wildlife and you might want to stick with um, the eastern. But if you are growing an edible landscape like I am, the Cusca is probably one of the number ones that I would recommend planting if you didn't plant anything else. Now, that's interesting because, um, I, of course, we're really close, we're more or less close to UGA. And Mike Drew was at UGA, and, and he would have plant ID things and show us the new cultivars and things that he's found. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever gone out with Mike Durr on a plant walk, but he bounds from one to another. And yeah. if, if something's edible, he'll hand it to you. And he made the point, and I've noticed it myself in the landscape, that some kusa berries are just not very good. And some are, are, are quite tasty. And I wonder if bringing, in Europe they are cultivating a certain variety that has particularly tasty berries. You are bringing up a very good point that needs to be addressed, and that is um, one tree to another. When you're talking about trees that aren't cultivated for edibility, you really do need to um, go from tree to tree. Don't be discouraged if you see one kuska that doesn't have a good taste, but if you go to the next, and it does. And that's true with any of these, whether it's the aronium, uh, mayapple, it could be, you know, it could be a perennial itself, um, which is why it's more fun to forage and know where your trees are than it is to grow one because you may not end up growing one that has a good tasting berry. We had a mulberry in our 
house growing up in Norfolk, Virginia, and it had very, very good berries, but I tasted some pretty bad ones in the wild and some very, very good ones, even better than the ones I grew up with. And so I have them marked. I know where they are. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, one of the things uh, that I've noticed, or that I just found out, rather, we have lots and lots of wild blackberries in our yard. They're kind of, I would say that they are the bane of my existence, except that they're along the fence rows, and they provide cover and food for wildlife. And I just go along the outside edges of the fence and pick what hangs over uh, that looks good. But I just learned this week that blackberries, I had just thought that they were maybe just bad berries, but apparently ones with certain virus diseases taste bitter. Mm, interesting. And yeah. I had always been taught that it was just, well, if they're bitter, it's because you picked them too early. Mm-hmm. And I don't rem- I never remember from one season to the next whether you're supposed to pick them while they still have a sheen on them or when they've gotten dull. Um, but I, I, there's a vast, vast, huge difference in the taste one from another. And I had... You know, and that makes a lot of sense to me because we had a berry, uh, blackberry bush that I'd I'd marked with um, landscapers tape, so I would know that it mm-hmm. it was the good one and not to cut it down. And all of a sudden, one year I went out to pick, and they were just nasty. Hmm, interesting. And in a now, couple of years, it was, was dead. Virus. So mm-hmm. yeah. So I guess well, there's a there's a lot of stuff. It still tasted better, I think, than the cultivated blackberries. <laughs> the, well, the thornless cultivated ones are just nah, they just don't have much taste, as far as I'm concerned. We're well, going to take well, another little break, but when we come back, I want to find out what are your favorite and what are your most hated berries um, when it comes to plants that you forage for or that you've planted. And whether you're going to plant more of these just because you like them, because I know when when you were here with us the last time, you talked a lot about having an edible landscape, as I do. But we will come back and talk more about um, good berries and bad berries with Helen Yost right after this. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Post, and I'm here today with Helen Yost, whose brand-new book is called Good Bug, Good Berry, Bad Berry. And the book is brand-new. It just came out yesterday, didn't it? Yes, it's exciting. I think it's wonderful. Now, you were here um, about a year and a half ago talking about your two other books, Gardening with Confidence and Plants with Benefits, and... I was when you told me that you were doing this one I said I know you're going to do your research on this but it's going to be a good one. So 
And when we were talking before, you mentioned that you had an edible landscape already. What do you have that you have in your landscape? Well, um, prior to when we were talking before, I, ha- I ha- always had, like, raspberries, blueberries, figs, uh, asparagus, things that are pricey at the supermarket mm-hmm. that I thought were mm-hmm. worthy of my land space. Um, but since I got interested in the book, I thought, some of, some of these plants are really pretty, and why have we substituted purely ornamental plants like a crepe myrtle for something wonderful like a service berry, for example? Um, it's going to benefit the wildlife, whereas the crepe myrtle will not at all, just except for some cover aspects, but every plant will do that. And then they're hard to find in the store, and service berry makes a fantastic jelly and jam. And then for me, I can't find them on the greenway as easily, although I will give you a trick. To look for it in the spring when they're in flower before everything else is in leaf, and then you can find it in flower first, go back a month later when it's, when it's buried. So mark it when it's in flower and then go back when it's in buried. So that, that's helpful, but in the end I said, you know what, I can have one less crate myrtle. I uh, took my chainsaw to it, <laughs> and now I have um, now I have the, the service berries. So I'm pretty excited about that. And when I, once I got this mindset of, you know, I didn't take down all my crepe myrtles because I mean that is a southern tradition, isn't it? And I do have mm-hmm. some very beautiful mature ones that are fantastic in the winter, which are colored colorful bark. But mm-hmm. I I did take out some purely ornamental ones where I put in a, a cherry tree, the Stella, is self-fertile and not mm-hmm. susceptible to a lot of um, blights and such. I ended up putting in a lot more asparagus. I also put in a pollinator garden specific that used to be my tiny little vegetable garden. But I said, you know what, I think I'm going to spread the um, edibles throughout the entire landscape and just turn that into a pure um, pollinator garden so that I can have, you know, what I need for pollination. But I'm putting in a, um, a, a Bartlett pear. I put in some of these columnar apple trees, you know, like the North Sentinel and the Golden Sentinel. Mm-hmm. It's great for when you don't have a whole lot of space. I added a lot more strawberries. I added a lot more blueberries. I got real serious about my blueberries this year. Um, I have a couple more figs that I put in. Um, I'm letting my raspberries spread. Oh, gosh. Got a choke cherry, choke berry. <laughs> I, if it's good in my book, I have it. <laughs> oh, good. Good. You know, and there's nothing like a homegrown raspberry. Oh. You know, and, and they... They're so expensive in the supermarket if you go to buy them, $6 I for know. a little tiny thing. Yeah, they have um, their own special case, I mean, because they're so expensive. You know, nothing else yep. is sold in a, in a raspberry box. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm a big fan of, as, as you said, plant the stuff that um, that's expensive or difficult to find at the store, and raspberries sure. are sure topping that. But now yeah, what, or what or wouldn't you plant there? And how do you keep the birds away from all your service berries? Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to fight them over it. That is a problem. Although for my blueberries, I'm considering building a fruit house. Have you, have you ever looked into doing that where it's basically just a, 
Okay. You know, I thought about it uh, because I remembered the old original Victory Garden show. Yeah. And and the host of that show did a a berry house so to keep the keep the birds away. It was a permanent structure for his mm-hmm. permanent berries. I kind of toyed with the idea, but by that time, my blueberries were so huge that, eh, I figured the birds can have some. Mm-hmm. And I discovered I planted some southern highbush blueberries and, and a cross between a northern and a southern, and they're smaller in stature. But I found that I could handle the birds there just by putting an ultralight floating row cover on it. Ah, the birds don't, you know, occasionally a bird will get up underneath it because I don't peg it down, mm-hmm. but I just lay it over the top and I wait two corners so it doesn't blow away. I just tie them to a, a milk jug filled with water uh-huh. and that keeps them just fine. I'll be. So, so it's easier to white kind of cover yeah. over it that what yeah. yeah oh that's a great idea because i want to i want that uh, bird netting to be banned that stuff is horrible to the wildlife oh yes mm-hmm. i originally had my cherry and my blueberries covered up with bird netting but I, then i was finding an occasional bird that would get stuck mm-hmm. in it and um, Annie, our dog, would if there was a bird fluttering underneath, it couldn't figure out how to get loose because she would, you know, because the bird was afraid. Annie'd pounce on it, and that just broke my heart. Yeah. And um, I, I caught a couple of snakes in it. I and did snakes too. I are really lots. hard to get out of bird netting. And I couldn't get it out. I just couldn't, and I, I keep looking for them. I even set up traps afterwards, hoping to catch them, so I could. And I went and checked a couple times a day, and I did that for months, and he never showed up. So I don't, I don't know. I really think that should be banned. It's a horrible product, and I love I your idea of the row cover. So yeah. Well, somebody on one of, like, one of the master gardener lists had suggested maybe shade cloth, and I was looking and I'm thinking, no, my garden is so shady anyway. Let me just try this floating row cover and see. And for people that don't know what floating row cover is, um, Remay is one of them. There are a lot, and Agrabon, and just get the lightest one that you can get for an, for an insect barrier. And it works for the birds, too. Excellent. Okay. Now, what wouldn't you plant in your landscape? Well, mainly because I will plant is... Um, blackberries because I have good areas to forage them in. So you just go out, um, um, do you, you've got a field or something where you can go and pick them or roadside? Well, they're or they're just wild them? everywhere here. So there's lots of, on the NC State campus, there's some along the roadside, there's some that are used as, as barriers. So I mean, I know every place to forage them in Raleigh. <laughs> So I don't need to take up my valuable landscape for that. I I just know where to go to pick them. Now, don't you do you worry about along the roadsides that they might have been sprayed? Yeah, that is that possibility. But so the first thing you do is you do look to see if there's any um, dead vegetation or any indication that they have been sprayed, and you can tell right away if they had been. Um, and what I find is, is it depends on the road, you know. So, like, what, like I, if I find them on the campus of NC State, they are in, like, a wild brush area that is not right along a walk path 
or they're well behind one, and they're just allowed to grow. And I'll often, when I'm going to the farmer's market, there's a great stand there along along Centennial Campus, and I saw some students there once. They were picking blackberries as a as a some kind of fraternity or sorority reward thing. Whoever got the most, I guess, was the winner, and they would be a twice the winner. But um, so I kind of wrote down for them. I probably shouldn't have given away all my secrets, but I wrote down for them <laughs> where to go. And the only reason why is because I felt really guilty because I was at that bush a week early, <laughs> and they were all gone. They were picking red berries. <laughs> oh my! Oh dear! Yeah. Oh, what a waste! What a shame! Yeah. And especially if they're coming in in hordes to pick them all, I'm sure yeah. you do what I do when I'm ever I'm foraging is um, I, I don't take all of them. I leave some right. for other people and for the exactly. wildlife. And yeah. I guess at this point we should also mention that it's illegal to forage in many um, state and national parks. Exactly. You know, you have to have permission or you have to, it has to be um, public land that is not protected by the state parks and recs. So like our roadsides are fair game. Maybe NC State's not, but so I won't tell you exactly where they are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I I feel, I remember hiking in the mountains in Pennsylvania, and when I was a kid, there were just scads and scads of berries all along the um, pass. And when I went back there a few years later, um, when I was a camp counselor in areas where we used to take the kids, there were there was just not a berry left anymore because mm-hmm. that the trail had gotten really popular, and you mm-hmm. know suburbia had kind of moved in, and all the berries were gone. Wow. That's got to be a big hit on wildlife. Yeah, the berry plants were there, but only very few of them. Because of course, you know, without the plants use the berries to reproduce. Right. Well, the blackberries, of course, can tip root, but um, the, the, they need the berries to reproduce. And if they're if they're all gone all the time, they just don't reproduce very well. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any wild blueberries in your area? Or are you too far south for that? Well, um, you know, I don't have any here in Raleigh, but I was hiking in the um, savannas of, at the coast of North Carolina this past spring, and they were everywhere. I was, it was so awesome to see. Wow. I haven't found a place like that yet, but I remember um, the mountain blueberries. And they're tiny. They're small, but they taste so much better. Yeah, they were tiny, and I don't know if these are the same. I mean, they're, they're just the native um, pure species, and you're right that those berries are real tiny, too. They tend to be warmer. Their climate is warmer than ours, but um, they were everywhere, everywhere. I loved it, right next to plant plants. There are southern blueberries and, and of course, northern blueberries. And and they're both vaccinium, but there's some differences in how they grow. For example, the northern um, blueberries that we would find in the wild in the mountains were very, very, had very brittle twigs. And you could just go and gather handfuls of the dried twigs to start your fire, and they were a wonderful fire starter. Good to know, yeah. 
So if you're ever out in the woods and you need to start a fire and you're someplace where there are some northern, um, and these are fairly low bush, they're not high bush like a lot of the hybrids that you see. So you do yeah, have right. to do some bending to get them. But yeah. but they're they're useful for starting fires too. The stuff I learned at summer camp, you know, <laughs> sixty some years ago, and I still remember. That's kind of weird. Okay, so what else should people look for? You, you mentioned looking for spraying, and in our state, it used to be only the state would spray, and it was state highways, and many of the communities, the counties, and the towns didn't spray. They used mowers, and now, unfortunately, our county is starting to spray, too. But we'll think about that and what else we might use to keep us safe when we come back right after this break. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and today my guest is Helen Yost, and we're talking about her newest book that just came out yesterday that's called Good Berry, Bad Berry. And when, when we were talking before the break, we were talking about you can watch and make sure that you don't see any dead vegetation, which is a real giveaway of people having sprayed there. But now... Uh, what do you worry? I know that used to be that people would worry about lead from um, leaded gasoline alongside highways, and right. that's not the problem much of a problem anymore. But what is your feeling about all the stuff that comes off of tires? Well, yeah, and I breaks. would wash it, you know, more than I would from my own yard. But I'd wash it from my own garden as well. Because you know the birds like to do their thing, and you know you want you want everything to be nice and fresh. Um, but as far you mean like just heavy metals, kind of in general. Yeah. You know I don't. That's just a that that'd be a real good study to find out what's still out there, and I don't know if that even exists from the standpoint of foraging. But I would love to look into that a little bit more. Um, so far, so good, knock on wood, right? But um, right. 
Um, yeah, if you're going down a huge, busy highway, you're obviously it's going to be higher risk than if it's a if it's a slower road or if they're planted further away from the side of the road. So take all that into consideration and just be you know make some safe judgment on that. Yeah, I didn't worry too much about country roads because, well, they usually have a fair amount of dust, but that wasn't going to hurt you. But exactly. now, I, you know, I wonder even out in some of the farm country with all the spraying, I think it pays just to know your neighborhood, doesn't it? I, yeah, I agree. And um, you can, again, the spray, that's almost the easy part because you can look for the facts of that. But the uh, but the metals, that's a little bit different. Um Lead, we're not so worried about anymore because it has been removed. But in a lot of farm equipment, you know, talking about country roads, they still have lead and gasoline, and particularly yeah, for older models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of landscapers I've noticed now are, are searching out marinas so that they can get um, leaded, regular leaded gas because the unleaded stuff is so hard on their equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. just, you know, breaking down seals and things yeah. from all the... That serves as a, a lubricant and and the, the uh, engine, and it, it was a great one. But it also, you know, caused um, a lot of mental problems, particularly in children. It's, a, it's the biggest hazard is in children than it is in adults. Uh, it's, it's not even hardly significant, honestly, in adults, but in children it's almost, you know, I mean, it causes a lot I, of mental I, problems. I guess that would apply also, the lead problem would also apply to some of the inner city neighborhoods that had really old buildings um, because the old buildings, of course, they used leaded paint and things. And if that has crumbled down and gotten into the soil, I suppose that could be a problem too. I know they recommend not planting your vegetables in it in areas unless you're using a raised bed. I, now, you've got some unusual things in your good berries. Tell me about, oh, and, and you've got some stuff that, that is just bad berries. Virginia creeper. What's what's wrong with with Virginia creeper? Well, it, it is, takes over. <laughs> yeah, it does take over, uh, you know, so most people just think of it as a noxious weed. But, in fact, it's a native, and it's a great wildlife plant. And I do grow it. I have to keep an eye on it, and I have it trained to go around my back porch. So it's in the in the in the fall. Uh, it's the color is so red. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 worthy of being in my garden. But I know a lot of people wouldn't really like it. But it's so toxic. It's you know, I put severity in for each of these plants that are toxic, um, you know, whether it's mildly or high. And this one is pretty high up there as far as toxicity, and um, it can be fatal if eaten. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. We had a little um, technical glitch there. I love technology when it works, and then, Helen, there are other times when it just doesn't work at all. <laughs> I know. Okay, so before that cutoff, you were starting to talk about um, Virginia creeper and how incredibly toxic it is to humans. And that intrigues me because that is one of the, it's one of those things that is really beneficial for wildlife. As Mm -hmm. is poison ivy, which is another thing that you don't want to tangle with. That's an, yeah, that's another. One. It, it, it didn't make the book because everyone everyone knows about 
poison ivy, but it's a great wildlife plant, and it's also another native that um, we might curse, but in the end, it's really, you know, a beneficial plant. So you just, it needs to be planted in its place and um, not in your garden. So I do pull any, any, um, um, Okay. Little seedlings, little sprouts. Yeah, oh, yeah. I pull them out as soon as they come. But now, for my Virginia creeper, and I do that as well, I do have a great stand that's just in this perfect location on my back porch, and I monitor it every year, just only a couple times, you know, making sure a stray um, vine doesn't go, you know, up the window, which, which it likes to do, and I just pull it down, and it's fine. And the, the, the color is so beautiful, and the wildlife really, really love it. And it's out of the hands of any curious children. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to, especially, one, like I mentioned it when we first started recording, this book is great for parents so that they know what they have in their yard and whether it might be toxic or not. And you have pictures all through so that people can look at and get a close-up of the berry and what it looks yeah. like of the plants. So it's not so difficult. But, you know, we were talking about safety, and I think... One of the things that you probably have thought about, too, is that this is a starting point for people. If you're not sure what some of these berries are, um, ask somebody that knows. Take them to your extension office or your nursery or or somebody else because, you know, there's a lot of lookalikes out there. I don't think it's as bad with with berries as it is with, um, oh, say, mushrooms. But there are a lot of lookalikes out there, and we need to be cautious about that. Well, that's the um, point is to go ahead and break a branch off, note where you are, break a branch off, have have your extension agent look at it, get get, get some backup and say, okay, this is good. It's a good berry or if it's a bad berry. And then even in the berries, not all of them are all that good. I mean, you know, some of them, like the porcelain vine, is my absolute nemesis plant because it's everywhere this exotic invasive is in my garden and it was there but the berries are so beautiful they've got a shade of blue that you can't yeah i planted one oh probably let's see i was working in a greenhouse then and so it must have been 15 20 years ago and I've been ripping it out ever since. Yeah, it you're just, hitting yourself for it, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the berries yeah. were gorgeous, and yeah. the birds liked them, but that's the problem. They're just all over the place. What, the, what other thing that with berries do you think people need to be really cautious about? Well, I'll never eat a seed. I guess, you know, that's automatic. You know, when you think about it, birds are, are just passing through the seed. Um, sure. Even a plant that wouldn't be toxic, like an apple seed, would be toxic, but it's more toxic once you chew it, you know, because then you're you're opening up and converting it to hydrogen cyanide, which happens inside the gut. But if it wasn't open, it's not likely to happen. So, you know, just be careful of any seed anywhere, but never eat a berry that you're really not 100% certain of. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to know. Though I, you know, when I was a kid, I ate more than one honeysuckle berry, and I I'm sure I ate more than one yopon holly berry. 
Mostly we yeah. just threw them at each other. But you know when you <laughs> when you're when you're yelling at somebody and they throw it and it lands in your mouth and you just swallow reflex swallow. Um, I guess things happen. So well, here's the good news: is that the um, the common honeysuckle is a bad berry, but it's also very mild. You'd have to eat a lot of them to have any effect, and they don't really taste very good. Do you remember them being yummy? No. <laughs> like I said, mostly we just way. we just threw them at one another. Yeah, it's kind of nature's way to say, you know, move on. This isn't any good. You know, Yul Gibbons had said that no, and it's not true, I'm going to just qualify this, no berry that tastes good is bad for you. But I did find the exception with the you because that's a very, very good tasting berry. So he wasn't 100% right there. But by and large, it's a good rule of thumb. There's, I can't think of any others that are going to taste good and be bad for you. And even some of the good ones aren't necessarily going to taste good until they've been processed. Yeah, like choke berries and choke cherries. Yes, yes. They're, they're just nasty to eat out of hand. Exactly. And same with it like the, um, the Mandina. That's a very mild one. I ate one of those. I took one for the team. I wanted to see. You know, when I found out it was very mild, I said, let's see if I can eat one. And I did. And it was uh, yucky. I would never eat another <laughs> one. I didn't get any symptoms, and it, you know, no problem, because it's just so mild. But I would never want to eat another one. Good for you. I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, how it adds up. And, and especially for people with, um, you know, that have other health problems. Yes. So. Yes. And, 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 and I know that goji berry is a really big f- uh, fan, uh, fad right now. Uh-huh. And everybody's saying that you have to eat them for their antioxidants. But... You know, they can be toxic in large amounts. They I didn't know be. that until I found out somebody that, that made a smoothie out of them, out of a whole bunch of them, and really got sick and ended up in the hospital. Well, on that dull note, <laughs> we're going to tell folks that there are lots and lots of good berries in the world that you can get, and um, that Helen's got them all in, good berry, bad berry. And, Helen, where can they they can get your book at Amazon? Anybody else yet have it yet? Amazon, your um, local independent bookstore should carry it. If they don't, ask for it, and they'll order it. Um, certainly the big um, chain stores have it as well. Okay. And how can people follow you, find out what you're writing about? Um, you've got, are you, you're still gar- uh, blogging at Gardening with Confidence? Yes, I'm Gardening with Confidence, and um, come subscribe to that. I'd love to see you on a regular basis. And I, I have a Facebook page group that I call, it's hashtag foraging and cute shoes. And the reason why <laughs> I came up, came up with that is because it's meant to be for for moms and seniors and, you know, not not just heavy hikers in the mountains of Denver kind of thing, but where you could find things on the greenway. And just plants that you might want to cultivate in your home. In fact, there's a recent um, posting on the lindenberry. Um, so it's, you know, that I'm growing them and trying to get other people to grow them as well because it's another great good berry. But it didn't make the, book, make the book because it doesn't have a wide range. So there's a lot of information on there. But come join the Facebook group. That's a lot of fun. And um, we're all foragers, and we're not too, we don't take it too seriously, though. Okay. 
Well, that's all the time we have for this week, but I hope you will all join us again with America's Homegrown Veggie Show next week. We'll see you then. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.